Are we not the bestest of friends already? Only in media. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast that co-led the Dallas Stars in goals against Anaheim on Wednesday night. And Mark, I can't think of anything better to do than talk about two losses back-to-back at, uh, I guess, 8 o'clock in the morning, your time, 10 o'clock my time. How's it going? It's going great. And, you know, the thing I don't understand is how people think that we got shut out, because I definitely saw Yanni Hockenpop put the puck in the net. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, this is going to be one of those podcasts, isn't it? It's it's just uh, buckle up, break up, break up the stars. The season's over. They're toast. Just pretty much that's it, right? Wrap wrap the season up. They've, they've lost two in a row and we can all go home. Apparently, when we go to California, if I don't go to the game, we don't win. And that's uh, that's not good because we still have to go to San Jose. <laughs> Like I'm gonna go to LA go again next week. We gotta get yeah. to get get you some tickets. Waiting at will call. That's that's it's for the <laughs> for the good of the team. I gotta I gotta take one and believe believe me, I know enough Anaheim Ducks people around here that I really can't afford to get shut out by them again. <laughs> it it's not great when you get shut out by a team that has. Let me check. Oh God, they've got what is it, eleven wins this season. Uh, you know that's that's. That's, that's a including low over. This is like a, you know regulation win number three or something yeah. ridiculous like that. Negative sixty eight goal differential, three thirty three points percentage. So you know not the kind of team that uh, you you really you really want to lose to. So and you know I will say my impression of this, and and let me let me know how you feel. And this is one of those like check back in a week and see if I'm right things, but. I actually low-key think that these two games were a good thing. And the reason I think that is we saw some of the old kind of sloppy tendencies of the Stars resurface in both of those games, right? The team kind of came out flat against the Kings and tried to storm back and win it late and couldn't man. You know, the, the, they basically, Dallas wasn't playing 60-minute hockey. And from the outside, right, this is a team that this season has has gotten behind sometimes and has kind of always been able to fight their way out of the muck and and wind up getting at least a point out of the situation. So I, I don't know. And then factor in, you know, they're still top of the top of the division, second in the conference behind Vegas, right? They're still in such a good place standings wide wise that I I don't know that a two game ego check is necessarily a bad thing for this team as we stand right now. Right. And, and from my view, what you're really talking about is, you know, you go into that Kings game into the third and you say the, the, the stars have been dominating the third and they kind of laid an egg. And that's the, that's the first time really in quite a while that they've, they've not been the better team at the end of the game. And then that carries over to the first period against Anaheim, but really, after you get out of the first period against Anaheim, uh, you know, the thing they got goalied at that point. Well, yeah. goalie didn't ref a little bit. Uh, you know, a, a few uh, hide the puck, uh, hide the puck, even though it's out veteran, in the open tricks. Yeah, veteran savvy from John Gibson, right? Yep, yep. So you know, two two bad periods. What you can't afford now is to come home and lay an egg against Florida, because at that point you start saying, well, I'm going on the road to to the big city. Uh, how is this going to snowball? And and those of us who've been around a while have seen the Dallas Stars snowball before, and it's not a pretty sight. 
And those are not bad teams. I mean, uh, the Islanders have struggled a little bit lately. I think they're five and four in their last two, but they're 12 and six at home, right? So a real strong team. Um, New York, the Rangers, Shesterkin is looking a little bit like his old self again. They're seven, two and one in their last 10, including the three three games in a row uh, winning streak. So to your point, right, Florida's not, not playing great, although it's kind of mystifying given the talent level on that roster, but you're completely correct in that this is a situation where they've got this weird, it's almost, and I think this was Razor made this point, but it's, it's almost like the road trip just extends for two weeks because you're playing one game and you play two away and then you play one game at home and then you're right back on the road. So the Florida game is almost not a home game given the way the calendar breaks. But this is a situation where if, if they drop that one, all of a sudden they're staring down the barrel of a three game losing streak with two potentially tricky matchups coming up on the East coast before heading back to play a Calgary team that isn't hitting expectations, but is kind of desperate for points. Right. So it's, it's not, you know, then they got, got Vegas after that. Right. So this is, a stretch of hockey that could spiral fairly quickly if they don't get some things fixed. Right, exactly. And I mean, this isn't the only one game homestand that they're having in in January. That's kind of the, the statement for January is that you go out on the road for a few, you come home for one, you go back out on the road. And so you never really get comfortable. You know, yeah, and I, and, and I, I would say the other thing is, you know, we're, we're far enough into the season now where other teams are starting to say, Hey, this, uh, this is a, you know, a real solid team is coming in in here. We're going to give them our best game. Yeah. Yeah. They're you turning into that. They're turning. It, this is no longer. We're we're well past the days where da- the Dallas Stars are a backup goaltending team. Yep. Yep. Although that was that was always such a good strategy in the past. Why go away from it? <laughs> Stay right under the radar. Yeah. yeah uh, and, and to your point, right, they've got two home games between now and January 21st and starting the 21st, they've got a nice, you know, Arizona, Buffalo, Carolina, New Jersey, all at home stretch. But um, yeah, of their next, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of their next eight games. Um, you know, four of them are on the road and they've, the two home games kind of bookend it. So it's, it's going to be a grueling stretch, a lot of hotels. Yeah. Hey, but, I think the team's taking the right approach to it. I, I mean, you have these little stretches in, you know, throughout the season and you get, you get goalied sometimes, sometimes the puck hit, hits the pipe instead of going in. I mean, all, all sorts of ways that things can go, uh, go a little awry and yeah. they go awry and you kind of keep doing what you're doing because you trust what you're doing. And, uh, and, 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 that's kind of hockey. You know, you, you come out with a with a 650 win percentage and you're doing pretty darn good. I mean, it's hard to argue. So, so that is the perfect segue for what I want to ask you. Is this a moment like it, how how much, you know, put on your 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 glitzy Pete DeBoer tie? Right. How much do you think the coaching staff should be tinkering right now? Is this a situation where. It's two games. Let's see what happens against Florida. Or do you get aggressive with the lineup? I mean, at this point, the only thing I do is is something that David Castillo has been advocating for a week and a half, and that is uh, move move Freddie Olofsson up to Sagan line. I think he's shown enough as far as skill that uh, he kind of belongs there. Move Kivy back to the fourth line where he's comfortable. And let's roll with that for a game or two and see how that works out. 
Yeah, um, and I'd say it's it's a combination of things. I I would agree with you that based on balance of play, Olafson's probably probably earned that look. It's also I would say that Kivi Ranta hasn't right now. Like there there's just a reality of you know the, the reality of of the way that NHL rosters work and production and all of that stuff. And right now, looking at you know we're looking at a player that has five goals and zero assists in forty games. And if one of the purposes of the Sagan line is to generate offense, that's not good enough. And you can say that he brings, you know, other positive tangibles to the, to the lineup. You know, the penalty kill has been good, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, where Kivi Ranta is positioned in the roster right now carries an offensive responsibility that he is not meeting and I think that you're right. It's, it's you know, Olofsson has looked good in his play. There's a lot of um, statistics that tell you that he's driving play, that he's, you know, creating opportunities, that he's, you know, doing positive things. And it kind of gets to be, you know, some, sometimes this stuff isn't that complicated. You got a guy that's struggling and not doing the job. And you have a guy that appears to be not struggling and is doing the job and seems seems pretty academic to make that flip to me. Yeah. And the other thing I think that you seriously look at is is a conditioning assignment for for Gurianov down to Texas for a for a game or two. You know, he, he hasn't played in a while. He's getting his skating's legs back. And and to tell you the truth, you know, it, it, it kills two birds with one stone because then you get him back to to a layer where he's gonna be just dominant. And and getting that thought in Gurionov's brain is yep. is the kind of thing that in the past has thrown the switch. Yeah, he's he's almost that reminder of like, no, you have especially Gurionov. What's you know the book on him is he has some plus plus physical attributes, and he is at his best when he's leveraging the speed and when he's leveraging the shot and when he's kind of leaning on those those abilities. And so putting him, you know, one, he needs time to catch back up to the NFL NHL pace anyways, but two, putting him in an environment, in an environment, the AHL where he had, where those advantages are kind of even more pronounced could be a very good thing to get him going and, and make him a, a viable option. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think the last time he went to the AHL, it was about, it was a couple of days after I'd written an article looking at what he wasn't doing in the NHL. And he went for one or two games down to the AHL and just was in fuego. Yeah. I mean, he he tore it up. And then he came right back up and he kept it going. And and so it could just be this thing. You know, we, we obviously know that he has some skill, but skill without confidence doesn't get you there. Yeah, especially at the NHL level. Everybody's good. Everybody's yep. skillful. Even, you know, there's, there's the, yeah, so the, it's, it's all about the intangibles, especially when, again, so much of what hence uh, so much, sorry, so much of what Gurionov does is built on the bedrock of like quick decisions. You know, he's, he's not a guy that stops play, surveys his options and then makes, you know, and then makes something happen. He is a, a bull in a China shop. How do I get downhill? How do I get something on net? You, you, he kind of, some, some players create, he kind of creates by doing, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I, I, I always kind of fall out. He's 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 a real bright guy, but he tends to process, and when he processes, it slows his game down, yeah. and that that kills him. And so he needs to be reactive in, instinctively and just doing. And yeah. and if we can get Gurry back to doing, then I think all of a sudden 
we have a lot of positives. And I'm I'm not one of these people who's going to say, you know, Gurry's value may have gone down just because the numbers have gone down. But I think put in the right situation, he's going to shine. And and hopefully that's in Dallas. Enough enough on Gurianov. I'm going to uh, do do a monologue here. I think one of the things that we need to do is uh, take a look at Joe Pavelski. And with Joe Pavelski, he signed a new contract. Uh, if you take a look at it at first blush, we have Joe Pavelski that uh, has taken a $2 million cut in salary, but not really. Because oh if my you God, start. This is a brilliant deal. <laughs> another, another nil masterpiece. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it's great because what you have is. You know, he's in essence taking a half million dollar cut because you have performance bonuses of of two million dollars and the performance bonuses, you know, one million for 10 games played and two million for 20 games played. Uh, Joe Pavelski could get those numbers, you know, with, with, with one skate blade missing. Yeah. Uh, and if, and so and so he's going to hit those. So if, he's, if he's memory in essence, serves. And correct me if I'm wrong, Mark, but I believe part of the brilliance of this, the way that bonuses work is because they're not certain, even though these are, they get applied after basically the year trailing, right? You kind of true up the bonuses against the salary cap. So so what Joe Pavelski has effectively done is, you know, we all we've all heard the rumors that escrow is the, the players have kind of paid back what they owed based on the pandemic revenue hit and that things are going well and that we're about to start seeing the cap moving up. What the stars have effectively been able to do with these bonuses is lower Pavelski's cap hit in the immediate term. And by the time they have to apply that $2 million ish in salary cap, which they very likely will, he's going to play 20 games. Um, But by the time they need to apply that to their salary cap, there'll be one additional year down the line, which means the cap will have gone up a little bit more and a couple of other agreements will have expired. So basically it's saving cap space in the immediate term at the expense of cap space in the later term, when it is fairly likely that they will have more in the later term to spare, right? They're, they're kind of deferring to a time of largesse. Right, exactly. And, you know, there, there, there's some added level of complications there if you really want to dig deep. And, and you have you have a percentage over the salary cap that you uh, that, that you have to stay under that includes performance bonuses. But this number, you know, two million for Pavelski doesn't get us there. So, you know, the. It, it gives us flexibility on the cap management side. I, I would say it's consistent with what we're doing this year because, you know, you, you can argue we're accruing cap space by not having a full lineup uh, or a full bench, really, uh, on, on a day-to-day basis this year. And, and, and we're going to use that to sign somebody at the trade deadline or something. We're going to use that uh, that cap space. But one other way you can use excess cap, cap space if you don't use long-term uh, injured reserve is you can use that to pay off your uh, your performance bonuses. Oh. And so and, and so we have a handful of performances bonuses this year. Really, the 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 big one that that we need to pay attention to is is, is Nils Lundqvist. We we acquired it. Um, and, and even there, he's likely not to get uh, get all of what he, he could potentially get. 
you know, the interesting thing from my point of view, how 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 in the world did 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 Wyatt Johnston not get a contract with performance bonuses in it? Because he would just <laughs> be taking that to the bank. I mean, aren't there aren't there? And this is speculation. I should probably know this. Aren't there some limits to what you can give rookies under the CBA? Is it is it that he didn't get them or is it he couldn't get them? Uh, what what you do is you have you have four schedule A bonuses that are available that gets you up to just under nine hundred thousand dollars, and then you can go to schedule B bonuses that you can just go through the roof on. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're, they're available. Um, it is just for some reason we have a bunch of contracts out there that that right now don't have them. You know, Ty Delandry is out there with with one that he's probably not going to end up getting much on. Um, and and really, the only one that's going to hit, other than uh, potentially a, a big hit with with Lundqvist, if he has a has a really good second half, is is Pavelski's five hundred thousand dollars. And those are games played bonuses this year. They're just a hundred thousand dollars every ten games for the first fifty games. And Joe's going to get those. Yep, he certainly will. And it's 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 just interesting. I think you're right. This does seem like. Everything seems to be setting up for the stars to do something at the deadline because you know the, the big things to remember here obviously are uh, a player's cap hit is prorated based on the percentage of the season left. So a a large cap hit today in you know February is much smaller because we're dealing with a much smaller chunk. So if if Dallas can uh, preserve the space that they have and not use it, they could you know, the the quality of the asset they're able to get goes up with every day they're able to wait because they get more cap space by not using, you know, or sorry, by, by not using what they've got and the player's cap hit goes down because the calendar keeps ticking. So it's a situation where, you know, the performance on the ice is sort of helping nil out in the sense of they're playing well enough that they don't have to do something immediately, even though they probably do need to do something in the long term. So as long as the performance on the ice keeps them where they are, they can afford to wait. And the longer they wait, the bigger the thing they can do. Right. And and really what you're talking about is flexibility, because, you know, if 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 you find if you find that nugget within the system, then you just run with that. And, and and they've been trying different options to a certain degree. And then if you don't find that option, you have flexibility at the at, at the trade deadline where you can bring in a, a hired gun. And so it's best of both worlds. And you, you give Jim Nill a little flexibility and he's going to flex. And I, I will say that and then we can I want to move on to talk about a couple of the other things going on. But the other piece I'll say about the Pavelski deal is one hallmark of Jim Nill is he has consistently been able to get his man in free agency, right? He's been able to get contracts done with players. He's been able to turn Dallas into a destination, right? This isn't, this isn't a team that seems to have to fight for what they want in the open market. And I honestly see the Pavelski deal as a really good example of some of the soft power a good GM can wield, right? And so coming into the season, Pavelski's on a one-year deal. Nil made some comments, and I, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but he made some comments early in the season where he basically said, next year is going to be Joe's decision. When he's ready to talk, we're going to talk, right? And and really put the ball in his court and made, you know, gave gave positive signals from the team that they wanted him back because, of course, they're not idiots and they want him back. But, you know, it, it didn't, he didn't turn it into a situation where he was making allusions to, well, Joe's going to have to do this or we're going to have to. He just said, you know, we want to get this done. We'll talk about it when Joe's ready. And... That I think is something when you reach Joe Pavelski's stage of his career, like he he's also not an idiot, and he knows he's not at a spot where he's going to get an eight-year contract out of anybody, and and he knows he's in a spot where you know competing is important and and flex roster flex blah blah. But 
and and then getting into the bonus thing, right? So Nil is able to lower his cap hit, get something entirely reasonable by letting Pavelski do it on his own terms and by granting Pavelski very attainable, you know, a, a 10 game million dollar performance bonus is effectively a million dollar. You know what I mean? So he's not, he just, he just seems to understand where the players are in terms of what they want and what they'd like to do. And he doesn't seem to conjure or court controversy, right? Joe made a decision. Nil was ready when Joe made his decision. They they had originally talked about locking something up later in the season. They got it done early, right? So it, it just seems like another good example of he's he's good on the business side, but he also, part of him being good on the business side seems to be a rapport with the players and an ability to negotiate, you know, these favorable deals. Frankly, nobody, nobody really gets, you know, at least on the, you know, contract side of things, Nobody really gets jobbed under under Jim Nell. Yeah, and almost to uh, almost to a fault because the you know Dallas as a destination is great because that means that free agents aren't going to laugh you out, laugh you out of the room when you come and say hey you want to come play with us. On the other hand, it does put a bit of onus on you as as the GM to say I'm. I know what I want in a veteran and I'm going to have that contract uh, contract be reasonable because we have a nice place for you to fit in. And we yep. are going to, you know, we aren't going to just dump you at the first sight of, 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 of some new bobble out there that we want. But on the other hand, you can't afford to sign that kind of contract and then have it extend beyond the useful life of the player. And and so there's still still some works in progress there on on that end. And and I think we're seeing it a little bit with the uh with the continued uh you know erosion of the uh of the Ryan Suter skill set. <laughs> Erosion's a good word for it. Before we get to that, I also wanted to since we're talking about the forwards, we talked about Olofsson moving up, we talked about Garyanov coming back. I think, you know, we talked in the previous podcast about how one of our few dings on Pete DeBoer is that sort of lack of experimentation amongst the forwards. We had a, a kind of scary moment against Anaheim where Hintz went off favoring one of his legs, you know, looking, you know, not comfortable at all. And to me, that 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 makes the need to kind of flesh out Dallas's forward options even more acute, right? He did end up coming back. It, you know, I'm skimming injury reports this morning. It doesn't appear that there's anything wrong. Honestly, with a three-day break, it came at a pretty good time. So it looks like they dodged a bullet in terms of a significant injury to a significant piece. But that should be a flashing warning sign to this team that they they have to figure out some other options offensively in the lineup um, because it's it's there there are a handful of guys that are really driving production, and then the big question mark behind that. They're not they they need to figure out some ways to build in some depth. Yeah, and and I guess the question then becomes: Is that something that you experiment in anticipation of having to do that, and or or do you just ride with what you have and keep the experimentation to practice and and getting guys comfortable with how each other how each other read the game? And I mean, I you know, I, I, I I I'm you know, I'm torn on this. It, I like seeing I I like seeing experimentation in the game. I, I tend to like seeing it as as tweaking little things as opposed to as opposed to just major shakeups and and taking a look at what the stars would uh, would would try and do without hints uh, centering Pavelski and Robertson uh, strikes me as as maybe going out and looking for a problem as as opposed to trying to solve the problem ahead of time. 
Yeah, um, that's well I, taken. And I, I don't necessarily even mean now is the time to break up the first line and figure out. This is more speaking to your point about, to me, I think this this makes it more necessary to bump Kiviranta, you know, to bump Foxa, to, to bump guys off of, you know, the Sagan line. And to see, you know, because Dallas seems to figure it out, right, that they've got something with, with Johnston, Ben, and Marchment. And sometimes they have something with Marchment and Sagan. And they've obviously got the first line. And it's it's the Sagan line that's the issue, right? So to me, this is less about, well, crud, let's 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 move hence somewhere and see if if you know someone else can center the Robinson Pavelski duo. It's more about let's get serious about no we really Dallas can't afford to carry a five goal player on a scoring line. It's time to get aggressive in solving that problem because I think to your point, you can't just you know, practice is practice. It's it, You can't just rely on that. But it comes to if something dire does happen and you've got, you know, if you move Olison up and he looks like an NHL player and he continues to generate offense and that, that third line kind of clicks a little bit, then if something does happen elsewhere in the lineup, you're one step closer to solving that problem because, you know, okay, this, Ol- this Olison, you know, either because you've made the Sagan line better or because you know Olofsson is an offensive option and you can potentially make a different move. Whereas if something bad happened right now, it's much more of a crapshoot because, you know, Sagan's having a pretty good season offensively, right? It, it looks, you know, he's, he's certainly 26 points, nine goals, 17 assists. So it's not, you know, world beating by any stretch, but it's, hey, it's it's perfectly acceptable production. Outside of him, it's just a big shrug, right? So it's it's time to start figuring those depth options out just in case you need to bump everybody up a slot in the lineup to solve a bigger problem. Yeah, it's uh I I just don't see it happening. I know, but it should. And and, 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 and you know, we just we just finished talking about uh you know Dallas being a uh, a a good location for guys to come to and and they're gonna find a home and and maybe the the deep downside of that is that you ride some guys in in roles longer than than maybe efficiency would tell you that you need to yeah because because that's how you brought them in in the first place and you want to be able to you want to give people the benefit of the doubt when you make promises or when when you when they have expectations about what their role is going to be you're and, not wrong. and and and, <laughs> and like, like it or not that's kind of what you live with and and especially in the regular season um, obviously you need to, you need to game it out once you get to a playoff situation where you're going to deal with matchups and, and you may end up with a bad matchup because of that. But yeah, yeah. It was, yeah. The thing I've been impressed with is how strategic they've been with bringing guys up from, uh, from Cedar park. And they, and they brought guys up who, who, if you look at raw numbers, wouldn't necessarily be the obvious guy. You know, Olofsson was certainly one of them. I don't think he was on anybody who anybody's radar who wasn't paying some pretty good attention to what was going on with Texas. Um, and and he's looked pretty good. You know, when was the last time you saw an NHL, NHL team say, "Hey, I think we're going to pull pull a winger off the fourth line from our AHL team, and they're going to make an impact." Yeah, they're making the right calls. It, it and we've talked before about you know really over the past couple seasons there's been a transformative change across the stars organization and there really does appear to be a plan guys just aren't in cedar park right they're in cedar park to play specific roles to work on specific things which i think speaks to your point when they need to call somebody up they've got a very it seems like 
they have a very clear idea of sort of what type of player, what basically they have, a, they have an idea of what type of gap they're trying to fill, which then informs who they call up more so than just, okay, we'll just go to the top of the stats page and that's the guy that gets to come up and play. Yep. No, I, I agree 100%. Which is nice. Yeah, it's it's nice because that's how you should do it, and I think it 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 uh, it shows that you have a have an organization that has a plan, and ha- having an organization that makes a plan and, and and maybe a little brighter than the next guy over is is how I want my hockey team to operate. Same. I would just like for that plan to include replacing you know Kiviranta on the the second line. That's that's my. That's my bone to pick. I'm going to keep picking at it. And while I definitely understand your point and, and, and I agree that you, you know, you don't certainly, this isn't a team where you need to blow up anything structurally and you, you don't want to overreact when you're, you know, leading your division and you've, you know, plus 30 goal differential and you're six, three and one in your last 10 and you've only lost two in a row, two in a row. I think this was, I think Razor said this would be the second or the third time this season that Dallas has lost more than a game in a row. So you know, to a certain degree, kind of, you just expect that this team is going to snap back and figure it out. But I don't know. I just think, I think they could be more aspirational and more aggressive on the lower reaches of the lineup to try and, and kind of optimize the roster. But that's, that's just me. Yeah. Well, it's not just you. I mean, I, I'm not disagreeing with you. I, I think Kivaranta, when you came into the year was, was a, you know, a winger on the fourth line and, and maybe the, the guy sitting in the press box. So you know, I, I'd say good on him for yeah. for pulling a niche where he's getting ice time every day. But yeah, there's there's ways you can improve on that. And speaking of, you mentioned I, I would definitely want to circle back because what would it, what would a stargazing be if we didn't you know kick uh, kick Ryan Suter in the shins? Um, it's not going well right now, is it? It's uh, you know it, it, at a certain point I I almost get tired of talking about it which i guess means that people will get tired of listening to yeah. it but uh yeah i mean he he's he's lost a step even from last year and uh and i don't know that we've found a reliable partner for him so yeah you can always you know go to the tried and true everybody looks good with miro haskinen so it's got to be Suter and haskinen yeah. but at, at a certain point you either need to say i'm going to give him give him that pairing and and, and face the repercussions of what that does to the rest of the defense, or you have to say, uh, you know, are there other options out there? And I think, you know, Thomas Harley has, is really hitting his stride down with, with, with Texas. And it's a shame right now that, that we aren't getting a look at that up with Dallas, because I think he has a lot to contribute. And it's compounded as well, just so we don't make this all about Suter. But, you know, Hockenpah has has struggled a bit lately. He's been directly responsible for a couple of goals recently. Um, Miller has had his kind of shaky moments. And, and to your point, it, it seems like we're getting a little bit of, of reversion where the guy that plays with Haskinen looks like a million bucks. And Lindell is... is in my opinion, you know, and statistically as well, Lindell is doing everything you could expect Essa Lindell to do. So you've got you've got kind of two guys that are in a good spot relative to their teammates and, and kind of holding holding the roles that that you would expect. And then the rest of the unit is kind of a although actually now that I look at Lindell's stats, he's kind of getting caved. He's always tricky though. He's getting caved in on on his possession metrics, but that's sort of the game. It's just it's the defense is a quiet mess, I guess is what I'm trying to say. 
<laughs> and, and sometimes not so quiet. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a, the defense is certainly not what we've, we've come to know and, and, and not necessarily love with, with this team. Um, but in the past, we've always been able to say at least we can shut people down, and now we can't necessarily shut people down even if we decide that's what we want to do. It's 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 Miro, it's Miro. We know what he does, and he's having a great year. It's Essa. He's doing okay. Lundqvist is a is a work in progress, but he's shown uh, he he's shown some ability to to improve. Um, he's making then, he's making the progress you want to see, right? Yeah, and then it's plug and play. And you know, I guess in my mind, the question is: is is it worth bringing in uh, bringing in Harley as kind of the left hand equivalent of Lindquist? Uh, because at this point, I think talent wise, they're they're pretty similar. And and it's just because because Lindquist is is the right shot, he's getting the opportunity right now. But I don't think that long term. That uh, that that's a good idea to let Harley marinate too much when he shouldn't. Yeah, it, it's certainly I guess my point as well. Right. Is the te- the the problems with the defense have progressed past the point like subbing in Joel Hanley for a couple of games isn't going to fix anything. So it's time to maybe look at a different solution than subbing in Joel Hanley for a couple of games. Yeah, and and I mean Hanley. No, no offense to Joel Hanley. Right. No, I, I think Hanley's doing exactly what we expect him to do. You know, you sit for a month, come in for a game, and 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 kind of shut everything down. You know, no offense, no defense. That's that's kind of his role. You pay the minimum for it, and and that's fine. But I'm I'm now at the point where I I would I I think Harley deserves to be up and put him in Hanley's spot because that's the one guy who's who's really not getting the ice time. And then make your decisions on who's playing based on who's going. Yeah, and I mean, you also have to prepare for the eventuality of, you know, calling Harley up and not having it be a, you know, scratch situation. Like you, you may call him up and then he is ready, right? And and he may it may be one of those hint situations where you eventually get to a point where you call a kid up and he's not going down anymore. Yep. Yeah. And I. I Everything I've seen, he's at that point. I mean, what he had thirty-nine games last year and, and and didn't look out of place. We were all a little shocked when he went down at the beginning of this year. Um, I understand that he went down with uh, with, with kind of a, a to-do list that included, uh, you know, getting his defense up to speed. Um, he's done that. He's done that now to a point where he's back to contributing significantly on the offensive end. Yeah, so what more? To, what more do you ask? Yeah, for those scoring like, homies, Harley is up to twenty points in thirty-two games. That's six goals, fourteen assists, and it looks like he's even yeah yeah twenty points, six fourteen. And the thing that I like in terms of a call up is he's not doing a lot of that damage on the. He's doing most of that even strength. I think he has an assist on yeah. on the power play, something like that. So you can easily look at the game Harley is playing right now. And this isn't a kid that you're going to have to force feed power play minutes, although that second unit could use some experimentation anyways. But yeah, you can you can plug him in without disrupting other good things you're doing. Yeah, and and make it a true meritocracy at this point. I mean, as Pete DeBoer has said that that we need to protect players. Jamie Ben, uh, Jamie Ben has had his minutes cut significantly. And as, as a captain who leads by example, 
Um, if you're if you're a defender who who gets your minutes cut, all you have to do is look across the locker room at somebody who took it like a man and uh, and, and deal with it. Yeah. And to your point is, you know, and we've talked about this previously, and, and I'm not just patting myself on the back, but again, it's it's from an optics perspective. If you're trying to jolt the roster, calling up a guy that could be permanent sends a much different and much stronger message than subbing in a guy that everybody knows is the seventh defenseman. Yep. It's, totally it's just a much, if you're, if you're looking to send that, that warning, you know, if you're looking to make the point that everything is earned and nothing is given, then bringing Harley into the mix is it. That's that jolt, man, because this is a kid that, that the organization expects to be there at some point. And if that point is now, then somebody has got to go. And if that, you know, you don't want to be the low man on that, on that performance poll. Yeah, and and you know, a good hockey team is willing to face up to that and and no sacred cows. And frankly, on this defense there shouldn't be anyways. Um, yeah, because it's it's regressed and and there there are some guys that are you know, there are some guys who are in the picture on a lot of goals against. Yeah. And not not just not just tangentially related, but directly involved and you, you know, it's it's and and frankly, it just may be good to get some fresh perspective and, and everybody needs that break. It's just it's time. It's just like I said, it's it's time to be it's time to be a little bit more aggressive managing the roster, not necessarily because the stars are on the urge of the verge of a crisis. I don't believe that they are, but because, you know, looking at the the rest of the conference, right? Um Winnipeg is is dangerous, but Minnesota has been up and down better lately, eight two and zero. Colorado was beat up, but Dallas has kind of earned a cushion right now. And I think you have to either make the point you're you're having to make the case that okay, and, and Mark, put your put your thinking cap on right now, right? So we look at the the Central Division, and it, it seems to really be Winnipeg, Minnesota, Dallas, and Colorado. St. Louis is is every time you're about to write them off, they play a little bit better, and then they play a little bit worse, right? But you have to start looking if you're the stars at the postseason and thinking if nothing changes for the Dallas stars, are they, you know, four games out of seven better than Winnipeg, Minnesota and Colorado as currently constituted? Yeah. I mean, at this point I say yes, but the, you know, a lot of that is, is dependent on Colorado having a humongous portion of their lineup, uh, uh, on the injured list. So, uh, so yeah, but I, I think any of those series would be compelling and, and competitive and I would love to watch them. Um, the, the thing I, I think, uh, I, I think I want to leave this on the defense saying the last two playoff runs we had, we had similar issues during the regular season and Joel Hanley ended up drawing in, in the playoffs. And that tells me that, the stars didn't deal with their defensive issues during the regular season and then went with the option that they could depend on once they when once push comes to shove in the playoffs. And it would be a shame this year if if what what happened was that we got to the point where we're ready to make a run at the Stanley Cup and we have unresolved issues and Joel Hanley is starting. Yeah. Or, you know, it, it's one of those situations where, let's say Colorado does get healthy and all of a sudden they're charging up the standings. And let's say Minnesota's, you know, those teams keep gaining ground. 
and you're the stars and all of a sudden you see your you know your margins start shrinking and all of a sudden you're not the one seed you're you're falling down and you know all of a sudden instead of looking at a matchup with a team like you know Calgary or, or Edmonton in the first round somebody that you can feel although McDavid is McDavid and who knows but you know someone that's much more sustainable all of a sudden you're sliding into that you know four or five slot and, and maybe you're you're staring down the barrel of a first round series with Winnipeg or with the you know 62 point 62% point percentage crack and like the the matchups could really matter this year like there's there's a lot of parity towards the top of the western conference but the bottom couple of teams you can you can get them so again it, it always comes down to you have to walk that line between you don't want to make a change. To, I, I love the way you phrased it earlier, Mark. You don't want to create a problem where there isn't one and you don't want to make a change too early. But if you wait too late, you take what is an easier problem and you turn it into something critical and you make a mistake, right? So I think Dallas really has to, I don't think that this is sort of the complete super Saiyan version of the Dallas stars. I think there are some tweaks that need to be made and my only point, and I don't mean tomorrow necessarily, and like I said, I'm not advocating to break up the first line or to you know drop Miro to the third pairing or anything silly like that, keep with what works, but I do think that this team should be active in its lower reaches looking for different things that they can do to get better because I don't think that they're good enough for the aspirations that they've now given themselves with the way they started. Yeah, I, I think that's that's completely fair. And and again, it's uh, you're you're now at the point where now I I don't think we're gonna we're gonna fall down to a wild card type situation where we have to have to play people out in the Pacific, but there's you know even if you're a one two three seed in the in the Central, your first round match is gonna be a war, and and if you get through that, your second round match is gonna be a war. Uh, you need to be ready for that right now, and and having the atmosphere at the AAC uh, for more games than 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 not is a good thing. So you need to keep one of those top two spots uh, in, in 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 firm grasp, and 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 you can experiment within that and still get there. I think so as well. There's you know your your and then the side benefit of doing that is in addition to experimenting and getting there. If you know, I'm knocking on every wooden surface I can reach, I swear, listeners, if you get into a situation where there is a big problem and you do have to fix something, you are much more informed on what your options truly are because you've tried some things out and you've got a much better grasp on what your roster can really do. And it, it simplifies your process. Yep. Yep. And and who knows at this like, point, like maybe knowing, uh, knowing may, maybe. I'm Maybe sorry. Logan Stankoven comes in and uh, and and solves everybody's problems. Oh man, everybody's favorite stinky appliance. Yes, and and then the other also, no, you know, right now Thomas Harley is an unknown, right? We 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 don't think that he is, but he kind of is, right? So if you have to use him later, wouldn't you rather have a sample size that tells you he's successful? I I, I think your dog agrees. Yes, my dog is a huge Thomas Harley fan. <laughs> <laughs> well, he he likes he, he likes goals and he likes apples, so he he sh- he should not be alone. That's right. So let's let's do this. We've we've kind of talked up and down the roster. Mark, give me your take about you know we've got the next week of games coming up: Florida, New York, New York, Calgary. What do you see happening while I go and friendly 
positive dog owner gently correct the behavior you're all hearing in the background. I promise <laughs> very minimal violence. How do you see the next week going? I, I, I think the stars turn it around. Uh, I, I think Florida is going to be a tough game. I think we're going to have to grind some stuff out there just because that's a team that tends to play the stars tough. Um, and, and it's also a team that should be starting to feel a little desperation because they're way down the standings further than uh, than they expected. Starting to. <laughs> well, it's a, you know, halfway through the season. They still have time to correct, but their expectations were pretty high. And, I feel like uh, Florida is having this. It, Florida is having the season that Dallas Stars doomsayers think that the stars are high. like the way that and i put myself in the doom category right but the way that stars fans are reacting to the la anaheim back-to-back is the actual season the panthers are having yeah i i, I think that's fair um you know but are, are there really florida panthers fans out there i mean three or four of them right <laughs> I mean, I, I, I've seen, I've seen attendance and I know the rank problems, but, uh, yeah, they, they should be better. And, uh, and I think they know that, and I think they're going to play with some desperation. And that that's kind of my only point is that, uh, is that that's not a game that you take a look at the standings and say, you know, the stars definitely should come out and win. I think they're going to be facing a team that's, uh, the, that's playing for their lives and, and they also want to, you know, throw a little bit back at Mason Marchment. So even even a little bit, uh, even a little bit more motivation there. And then, you know, the New York, New York, we should win the games, but we always have trouble on that trip. Um, so uh, again, you know, the Islanders, who, who knows who they they have a tough defense. They have a few guys on offense who who tend to just take care of Dallas. The the Rangers. The Rangers either beat us by a lot or we beat them by a lot is my recollection. But then all of a sudden you're at Calgary and that's going to be a real fun game. Yeah, that's that's going to be a dog. Fight. Yeah, and, and, and New York is, you know, Barzal is playing out of his mind right now. So that's that's certainly something to consider. And and the interesting thing to me about this stretch of games is, you know, they got shut out against Anaheim. If Dallas's offense continues to scuffle, especially against, you know, Florida, they should be fine, but let's, you know, let's for the sake of argument say that, you know, the early start and a bunch of stuff and they, New York, New York and New York are games where goals are going to be at a premium. So it's, it's going to be an interesting challenge mentally for the Dallas stars offense to get through this stretch of hockey. And it's going to tell us a lot about their, their kind of mental makeup, honestly. Yeah. And, and here, you know, it's, it's a, it's an, adversity stretch i i know that in the past we've had some discussions about pdo and, and and generally luck and i don't think the stars have been struggling that much on offense what they've been doing is struggling getting the puck in the net and then sometimes that happens and there were some guys on the team with some pretty outlandish shooting percentages and those are going to regress to the mean and so yeah fine we, we we can get we can live with that, but it's not going to last forever. And and the talent that we have on this lineup is going to show through. And pucks are going to go in the net, and and we'll be back to playing Dallas Stars hockey that we've come to love here in the last you know thirty thirty five games. I I I tend to think so as well. And I, like I said, I think that the last two games, Pete DeBoer thus far, both in Dallas and elsewhere, has proven himself to be a very capable NHL coach. And for a team that really was riding high and doing a lot of things that even kind of cleaned up some of their penalty problems lately, I think I, I, I would, if you could get him alone in a room without cameras or microphones, he might even admit that 
he's kind of excited about the last two games because they give him a lot of things as a coach to work on and a lot of ways to motivate that didn't exist and don't exist when you're, you know, crushing it. Now all of a sudden he can point to the standings and Hey, everybody's gaining on us. And he can look at, you know, bad tendencies and, and wobbles and, and things that didn't go wrong in the last two games. And he's got, you know, three extra, you know, he's got three full days off to get it kind of addressed. He's got a road trip. He, he just has a lot of tools in his coaching bag at this exact moment that if this team is what we think it is and if they've got the veterans that we think they have and the talent that we think they have and if if they've got all the pieces that we believe they have this is the kind of of mid-season wake-up call that can help recalibrate and keep you elite versus the the bubble bursting and and you know sorry Dennis Green them suddenly being who we thought they were right yep yep fully agree We'll find out uh, in, in Dallas on Sunday afternoon against the Florida Panthers before that, that East Coast swing. Mark, thank you for uh, having your coffee with us this morning. KT, as always, for stitching this nonsense together. Thanks to my dog Mitzi for her uh, guest appearances on the show. And uh, please remember to download and, and like and, and do all of the things that that help us help you with your wonderful STARS information. Thank you.